Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. Mike Lewis, Doug Battle, brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Doug, today's theme, if there is one, because I'm putting some stuff together, is like the idea of how league organization, how a sports organization is structured, how that affects fandom. And, and this is coming from a couple of places in terms of sort of looking at what's happening in the world of sports. Okay, Doug, so... Let me just ask you a quick question, and then I'll start to go back down this path. What sport, not what league or what organization, what sport is most mismanaged in terms of American sports fan fandom? I'm going to say Major League Baseball. Okay, so baseball? Yeah, it's just iconic brands that are becoming irrelevant to the everyday American. Okay. I'm going to say fighting. And sort of this broad category of sports where, and I'll get to why I'm I'm saying that in in a second. But so if I look at the way fighting is organized, I think that has a terrible consequences for how popular the Sparta, the combat sports, boxing, MMA, novelty boxing, how, how popular these things are in the U.S. The other one I want to talk about is... What was it JMU and Liberty University? I think Liberty is still undefeated in college football, but Liberty is not going to. I, I wrote it down. What do you know? What, what division is Liberty in? JMU's in the Sun Belt, and Liberty is in Conference USA. Yeah, so they're D one. Yeah, we had this kid in high Go school ahead. that was hell bent on being a D one athlete, and he kind of identified some, from the time he was like in sixth grade, like I'm going to be D one. And everyone called him D1, and he ended up playing at Liberty. So that's how I know Liberty is a D1 football school. But, and and we can, when we talk college football, we can get into this. But the, the JMU lost over the weekend. Liberty is still undefeated, but Liberty's not going to the college football playoff. I mean, there's, there's no scenario where they get there. And, and, right. and so, again, the way these things are structured has implications for how fandom flourishes or, or doesn't flourish. Okay, but so back to fighting combat sports. So I was thinking about this, and you can say I'm sort of off the rails on some of this. The Paul brothers did significant pay-per-view buys. Tyson Fury fought an MMA fighter, and I don't know if it was M- if it was exhibition or if it was sanctioned. Again, big numbers, decent numbers. Um, we had a senator, and this is actually what got me going down the path. We had a senator that essentially went viral, Mark Wayne Mullins, or Mullen from Oklahoma asking a teamster boss to stand the, the infamous quote of 
you said any time, any place, this is a time, this is a place, stand your butt up, right? And again, people people love this stuff in a way. But boxing has become absolutely fringe. MMA, the UFC, maybe they've got a decent following, but it's not mainstream. I don't think absent Ronda Rousey or Conor McGregor, I don't think the average sports fan is going to be able to name more than a, maybe it's like baseball, maybe any top UFC athletes at the moment. So I don't know. I don't know how much of an, I don't know how much interest or background you have in in combat sports, but people are fascinated by fighting and there is essentially nothing happening with maybe a little bit of a nod to UFC. Yeah. People are fascinated by fighting when you go to a hockey game or a football game and a scuffle starts to break out and everyone lights up like, okay, here comes the fun part. And so there is this instinctual desire among sports fans to see that uh, conflict expressed in its purest form of hand-to-hand combat. (laughs) And fighting has always been the sport where groups of people come together and they have their guy that they put money on or their guy that they root for and they watch it go down on a national stage or on an international stage. And it has seemed to become more fractured as has a lot of sports has become, I mean, a lot of media has become more fractured. There's, we've talked about this a million times. There's far less universally appealing products, universally appealing films or television shows or sports in this case. And to the point where the Super Bowl feels like the only thing and a sport like boxing, for whatever reason, it seems like even more fragmented from mainstream culture than, say, like NBA basketball, which still it might just be doing 10 million views on a NBA playoff or NBA finals game, whatever. But it's still there's a lot of household names, boxing, MMA, much more of a niche audience. And the reality is. I think if you went back in time, 75 years or 100 years, the biggest American sports were baseball, boxing, and horse racing, right? And and they've all <laughs> essentially faded or are in the process of – and I, again, I'm rooting for baseball, but they seem to be in the process of fading to second-tier status. And and so we, we come back to this issue of, of why is this? Why is there no organization, no boxing league that can make – a legitimate type of competition where fans can track a young Mike Tyson or Muhammad, Muhammad Ali or some of the Sugar Ray Leonard. And again, it's interesting the names I'm going back to are from the eighties and the nineties and generate some of this massive, massive fan following. It just doesn't happen. But heavyweight boxers were always the biggest sports stars in the world yeah it's kind of a chicken and egg situation in my mind in terms of the talent like part of me is like maybe there's less interest because there's we don't have holyfield or yeah we, we don't have those iconic brands and again chicken or egg it's it's like did the top talent stop going to boxing did they start leaning toward football and basketball as those sports started paying more and more and, and drawing more attention and being more interesting to kids or vice versa, did those sports become less interesting to kids and pay less money because they had less stars and less ability to, to build stardom around 
it, the athletes. And so I think of a guy like Elijah Holyfield, Evander Holyfield's son, played football at Georgia. Who's to say if in an alternate universe where boxing is still king, he he's not this featured boxer that that people follow like LeBron James from the time he's in high school till now and are clamoring to see him and a household name across the country. But it's like, in my eyes, a kid like that sees the potential earnings in the NFL and the glamour and, and glory of being a star college athlete and is just more interested in that. So th- that's one angle of it that interests me is, is there actually less talent than there was? If so, why? If not, why is the talent now not, marketed and built into stars in the way that it was 30 years ago. I think there used to be a system. And again, the system was probably the kids came up boxing and things called the golden gloves tournaments. And so some of that may have, again, it definitely has faded. The question is, why did it fade? They come up in golden gloves, participate in the Olympics, win a gold medal for the US of A and then turn pro, right? So there was a structure in place like NCAA basketball, right? A structure in place where the stardom and the brands were built. And then the moment you become pro, you've actually got some market power. Now, you're probably trying to get in with a promoter and then you become a cog in that machine. And so then you, you lose that ability to build that brand and have any and have any leverage. Was Elijah Holyfield? That's an interesting example, right? Because yeah. You could say he sees more glamour and potential in football, but he would have been a heavyweight fighter, right? I mean, assuming he's a 220-pound, 230-pound guy? Yeah. Okay. Being the baddest man on the planet, a la Mike Tyson, means that you are one of the biggest stars on the on the planet, right? Especially well, if it, you have a personality and a look and you sort of capture the public's imagination. I think it did, but like who are the top – who are the top heavyweight boxers right now? Okay. And so then again, this is, I think that this is where the question gets interesting, right? It's like, why does the promotion not work? Why did they lose the ability to, I mean, it's Tyson Fury, right? Damaging himself with this split decision over Nagano. But yeah. it's, there, there's, I don't think there's any, I, I guess what I come back to is if a young Mike Tyson appeared on the scene, I think that kid is the biggest star and one of the top five biggest stars in the world of sports internationally. Very quick. In today's climate? In today's climate. A guy that's sort of walking off, off walking across the, the ring and blowing people up. This happens three or four times against legit competition. Suddenly, and again, it, it kind of goes back. We want to see, we want to see the senators fight. We want to see the, the, the hockey players fight. <laughs> we want to see the fan we want to see the fan running up to the LSU or Mississippi State player on the field get their get it handed to them. We want to. Yeah. We we do. It is it is something. I think it's part of why football works so well. I think there's this innate <sighs> desire amongst sports fans for sports. Yeah, this kind of like yeah. violent nature in humans, and, and yet something like football where it's a little bit controlled and a little bit civil there's rules and and there's we don't feel like complete savages watching it i think it bodes well for the sport but yeah i i do think 
I don't know, Mike, what, what's your opinion on boxing? Like at some point, something changed. It went from being one of the top dogs to very secondary in the minds of sports fans. Is it the cover? Is it the media coverage, the talent, the league structure, the league approaches? I think it's mismanagement. And and again, because I think the way it evolved where there was no sort of the global federation, right? There was, it was essentially, I was fighting in this guy's promotion or that golden boy promotion or, or whatever the promotions are that there's no incentive for people to sort of build towards what the fans want to see. I mean, Mayweather Pacquiao, Pacquiao might've been the last, the last one of those things where it's like, Oh, these two stars coming together, which is what people, which is what people want now. And so I, I, I blame it on the individual promoters and their inability to sort of think globally or cooperate globally rather than just within their little, within their little silos. Let me ask you about pay-per-view and boxing's heyday. Was the structure similar? No, I mean, these were all sold independent. I mean, again, okay. I think some of this is fuzzy, right? But it's like, oh, Tyson's fighting. Order the pay-per-view via your cable company. And let's say it's thirty-nine ninety-five for the, the event. Maybe it's only going to last 35 seconds. <laughs> um, now it seems like everything flows through, I don't know, Showtime or this ESPN product. I forget what it's called. Essentially, they're controlling all of the pay-per-views. But... And maybe that's the issue, right? You've got to develop the stars. You can't just go straight to the pay-per-view. Right. Right. And, and, and and there is no, there is no structure for developing those, for developing those stars. American men don't win gold medals in the Olympics anymore, right? They're not out there. They're, they're not out there. There is no Sugar Ray Leonard sort of winning an Olympic gold medal, being on a Wheaties box and then going pro. That doesn't exist. And I, why? Because, I don't know, short-sighted people started dig. I mean, in some ways it's similar to what's going on with NCAA basketball, right? The NBA has almost done some things to shut off the college game. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm just, I'm still curious from a talent standpoint if it's similar to basketball in the sense where I don't think that professional basketball, like American basketball is any less talented than it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago, give or take. I, but uh, clearly the world has caught up and is evolving and is even pushing basketball forward in a way. And I'm curious with boxing, if American boxing has truly fallen off from its standard or if simply the rest of the world's gotten better relative to the rest of the world, it looks less dominant and it's harder to build stardom when your guys are losing in the Olympics and, and then to feel like, Hey, this is as good as it gets. It feels more like a minor league. It feels more like, American soccer in that regard. And so I, I, I wonder how much the world adoption, growth, development is is negatively impacting the U.S. market. Part of what, I mean, going back to your Holyfield part point, I, th- I think part of it is just the growth. Maybe not even that the world has gotten better, but America has gotten worse because everything okay. flows to the NFL now. Yeah. I mean, don't you think that in some way, in some ways, American track and field might be worse because in a previous era, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill might have been running track off season. Now he's just playing football year round. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's if that's a big part of the story that 
everything flows through the NFL because that's where the, and again, it, it all these kind of chicken and egg things, right? That's yeah. where the excitement is. Do you want to play in the NFL in front of a hundred million people or you want to play major league baseball? And it's, and it's kind of great, right, Doug, because the answer should always be, and oh, sorry, what was it? Uh, Kyler Murray, right? Yeah. Take out of baseball or play football. Baseball, you play 25 years, you don't get hit, right? I mean, it's... <laughs> I, I've yeah. seen so many quarterbacks, so many quarterbacks. Mahomes is another one. There's so many guys in the NFL, even in college football. I think I was watching Oregon State this week. I think DJ Uyungle had a chance to play baseball. I could be totally off there, but if my memory serves me correctly, which it might not be. I know they were talking this week, Carson Beck for Georgia had some offers in the SEC to play baseball opted to be a, a quarterback is guys who have turned down professional baseball guys who have been drafted and decided to play college football instead. And so in I do think Carson Beck in front of 95,000 people, right. Instead of what? 500 people at a Georgia baseball game. Yeah. And or Florida or Alabama, wherever he was being recruited, but it seems like football's dominance is might might be having a negative impact on just about everything else with the exception i feel like of basketball i feel like basketball's i i feel like there are guys that are stars in basketball that would also be stars in football but i don't know that many football stars that i think oh this guy would be all pro in the nba i remember they talked about aj green they talked about there's been a number of guys that that were obviously athletically capable but it's such a skill finesse sport <laughs> that that it's it's difficult to see miles garrett translating to to being some star in the nba or even justin jefferson or joe burrow yeah. who's got a great three-point shot by the way travis hunter right there you go i mean he seems like he I mean, translates to just that about seems anything. Like the, that seems like the, the kind of guy that might translate i mean it, yeah, it, it's almost like you wonder if those two sports end up being kind of nicely separated because of the height effect, right? There, yeah, the height. Like I said, the the kind of nuance of playing quarterback in football or playing defensive back in football and, and basketball, of course, ball handling. And there's just completely different skill sets that might. For example, I watched Nick Chubb play basketball at the rec center at Georgia. Strong as an ox super competitive guy, not an NBA basketball player, not even a college basketball player, best running back in the NFL, not a college basketball player, simply because of shooting, dribbling, <laughs> quite a good rebounder, I will say. Great vertical jump, very strong guy. But but beyond that, there's, yeah. there's such differences in those games that a, a guy like Nick Chubb, who can be a superstar in the NFL, could also struggle at the college level and basketball. Well, let's go back to the like the classic tourist two sport athletes, Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders. Baseball. Are those guys still playing? Are they still playing baseball if they're coming up in 2023? Or is the football coach kind of saying, we got off-season conditioning, we got spring football? Right? I mean, Deion's too busy that- with his social media in 2023. 23 year old Deion Sanders, he's he's got two careers. It's professional football and influencer. Yeah. Okay. So again, it's but it, it, do you see my point that I feel like there's such love of the like the the other story that caught my eye and sort of took me down this path was they're actually planning a crossover MMA tournament 
featuring the guys that have dominated the world's strongest man competition fighting in MMA. Okay. Just to bring some star power Just, into the mix. And again, I mean, sort of very kind of strange star power, but just to bring some brands into it. And again, just this, this strange fascination, right? We like to see fighting. We like to see novelty fighting. We want to see, look, we want to see senators fight strongmen, potentially. We want to see YouTubers fight basketball players. None of it really makes any sense. We want to see Zuckerberg and you know, Elon Musk. We Exactly. Right. How much, and how so much does this... How much does the fighting between Logan Paul and the amount of attention, how much does that devalue the sport in the minds of the general public where they feel like, oh, anybody could just go be a professional boxer and put on some weight and take a couple classes and be on a pay-per-view making more money than the rest of them? Don't you think it does? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's got to. I think you watch like a celebrity basketball game in the NBA, like the, the all-star yeah. weekend celebrity game. It's terrible every year. Yeah, there's always one guy that does okay, like Quavo, Justin Bieber. I don't, yeah. There's always one guy that does okay, but they largely they look like amateurs and I, they don't physically look the part. They don't, their percentages are lower. When you watch Logan Paul, as much as you and I have discussed, like this guy's not a pro fighter, it's kind of a joke. Looks the part, looks the yeah. part, puts on the show in the same way. Pretty much overnight, guy went from YouTuber to looking like, oh, wait, okay. is he is he actually legit? Hold on. I do have to tell you something. Logan Paul has officially retired from boxing. Logan Paul says he's now only going to wrestle in the WWE. I, I think believe that's a good move for him. I believe Jake Paul is still competing. Okay. Jake, so, and they're uh, the same person to me because I don't... <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you the difference between which one's older, who's done what, who dated who. Like, I, I don't know the Paul brothers, but the fact that he overnight pretty much became the biggest star from a marketing perspective in the sport um, is a little bit. I suspect, yeah. I suspect that no one has sold as many pay-per-view buys as the Paul brothers over the last two years. Right. I mean, that's bizarre. Right. But it's probably it's, like I, I mean, said, it's like if in the it's like if the most viewed NBA game were the celebrity all star game, like a game that's pretty much a joke. And just because of the star, yeah. just because Quavo is playing and people are like, oh, I like Quavo. I'll tune into that. Or it'll be funny to see if Quavo gets dunked on or if Justin Bieber gets crossed over. That's how I feel about boxing with its the amount of attention that those guys have drawn has devalued the sport it's made it into a show let me tell you something else tell me your reactions okay so half thor like the guy that was the mountain in game of thrones you know who i'm talking about yeah i I pronounce his last name icelandic guy he was the world's strongest man i think he won four titles he fought eddie hall who won the 2017 title yeah, I, I know more about this than I probably should. In in Dubai, I think about a year ago, and I don't I don't think the the fight did great, but it has something like over thirty million or forty million YouTube views. So again, I think you're right. This stuff completely devalues the sport, but it attracts eyeballs, right? And so 
there's potential there for someone that can figure out how to how to do this and sort of have the patience to build the brands and have the legit competition. I've seen this meme go around about baseball saying baseball would be more interesting if instead of having the president or a celebrity throw the first pitch, they had to throw the last pitch. So you get George Bush, you put W out there, bases loaded, full count, one one run game, ninth bottom of the ninth. That would be that would make it more interesting. It would draw more eyeballs to the sport. Everyone would tune in to watch that. But again, it would devalue the sport. It would make it feel like, oh, this is a joke. Like the only reason people are watching is because of this gimmick. Yeah. And that's how boxing has felt in the last five years to me. It's it's putting George W. Bush out for the final pinch. And and it does draw a lot of eyeballs, but at what cost? At what cost to the game? And, and at what cost to the core fandom? To the people that love the sport? And it's, to them, you might be making a mockery of, and these are the people that you need, the people that are truly engaged, the people that are inviting people to come in with them and, and follow this at a at a high level. And so that's just one parallel that I see to the Logan Paul, Jake Paul. What, what There was that kind of Champions League of old guy, old 60-year-old boxers. Oh, I mean, boxing's the, gone um, through its share of gimmicks in the last Mike five Tyson's, years. Mike Tyson's Legends Only League, which I believe was a one-and-done concept but i think it did decent pay-per-view numbers right right so i mean bottom line i think i think what you how you stated it is pretty well said that maybe what it is is the way boxing being basically unorganized into a bunch of fiefdoms essentially left it open for the novelty acts to come in and that degraded the whole thing right i mean you couldn't major league baseball might be struggling the nba was not the nfl but you couldn't form a, and we, we see this all the time, Doug, you couldn't form a novelty basketball league, right? That had YouTubers playing stand-up comedians or, and, and sell and sell out arenas, right? That well, they've we've had, that- we've had, like, I remember the TV show pros versus Joe's and it was like Jerry Rice playing football <laughs> against like your next door neighbor and basketball, even they have their kind of their three on three league where it's like Joe Johnson and a couple That's former the the trampolines or something yeah, trampoline basketball is another thing like we've seen sports have their gimmicky with golf you have like you can watch steph curry play patrick mahomes in the summer every year or some there's all these events you can watch nick saban and kirby smart duke it out on the links like there, there's so many gimmicky like auxiliary pieces to these yeah. sports but they feel auxiliary when you start when you market it as if that is the peak of that sport this is the super bowl for that sport logan paul versus whoever ksi whatever these youtubers and influencers that's where i think you cross the line into devaluing the sport i I guess the parallel might be that if the nba if let's say the lakers decided they were going to form their own sort of branch off league right and they were just going to include the the spurs the clippers and the, 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 I don't know, some team, the Seattle, the new Seattle Sonics or something. And they, they won it all the time. And, and the NBA splinters into four or five different leagues with four or five different championships. Then you open up the floodgates to all sorts of nonsense and you see the whole thing kind of cascade down. So in some ways, the only interesting question is, can you fix it? Who knows? How, how would you fix it? 
is my question. Money. What's the first thing you would do? Money. You get the Saudis to put billions into it, and you create essentially an, a legitimate international boxing league where you've got sort of lower level di- and sort of a multi-structured league where you've got lower level divisions where it's a legit competition in terms of people working their way up. But I think it takes Saudi money and it takes that international approach. And then frankly, on top of it, Doug, you got to figure out a way to let the Americans win sometimes because that's where the, <laughs> that's where the star power is. You got to get this guy win the middleweight probably. I was going to ask, how do you build the stars? How do you build the Pacquiao? the Mayweather, the, and then of course, going back to the iconic, the iconic boxers, George Foreman, how do you build the next George Foreman? And and, and look, maybe you're smart about it and you provide an incentive for people going through the Olympic system, right? That we're going to sign a contract with any Olympic gold medalist that essentially pays them for that time and that brand being built. So again, I think there's, you almost have to view it as sort of big picture, but then get the details right as well. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, okay. I'm I'm hoping they do like a professor's league. I want to see Mike Lewis go up again. I think that the students, I think that's a, that's a niche (laughs) that hasn't been tapped into yet. (laughs) Yeah. I'll I'll sort of, I'll sort of leave that one there, but I would, (laughs) I would would happily participate in such an endeavor. Okay. (laughs) The other story, okay, probably shouldn't touch this one because they told me I shouldn't touch this one because it's none of my business. Now but you're it sounds me like into Angel, it. Well, Angel Reese has been suspended. Maybe she's back by the time this airs from the LSU basketball team. And there's sort of social media back and forth between past players, mothers of past players. And the illusion seems to be that Angel has not been hitting the books and has been suspended from the essentially suspended from playing for a little bit. And all I could think again was, okay, you organize your league in a way where people are suddenly making big money, NIL money, selling false eyelashes kind of money. (laughs) And can you then tell me, Doug's just shaking his head, can you then tell me that as a fan, it's none of my business? And and look, it's tough, right? College kid should have a right to the privacy, start taking millions of dollars, you want to be a megastar, then suddenly I don't know that it's none of my business because you've asked me to be a fan, you've gotten rich, there's that relationship. Relationships have got to be two-way streets. And, And again, it kind of comes back to this thing of the danger of college kids essentially becoming professional athletes is that the the shield has got to disappear, doesn't it, Doug? It does. And I think it's interesting you use the phrase, none of my business. For a lot of for some people, it literally is their business. Anyone who's who's bought a product because of Angel Reese or watched a video because of Angel Reese or contributed to LSU's NIL because of Angel Reese and the run their team went on last year literally is their business. Like it is a business now. And to those people, you can't say it's none of your business. You're, you're essentially an investor. You've invested your time. You've invested your resources into this program, into this player and her brand, her personal brand. And and so I, I think when it becomes a business like it has, then all of a sudden 
your personal off the court, off the field mistakes, screw ups, they become everyone's business. And that's just a matter of fact, as far as how the world's going to treat it. You can question whether they should or not, but it's, it's a matter of fact. That's how, that's how the world's going to treat it. If you're Angel Reese and, or if you're, if Caitlin Clark were kicked off her team, or if of Carson Beck, we talked about, we mentioned him earlier. If any of these people, like they are now viewed as adults, they're not viewed as kids anymore. And they're treated as public figures. They're treated as celebrities. It's Justin Bieber. It's it, Justin wow. Bieber's life, for better or worse, has always been in the public eye. That's now the case for Angel Reese. That's now the case for any of these kids who are who are making millions of dollars playing sports. And ex- very often, they explicitly will say that they deserve to be supported. They deserve fandom, right? I, I know. I, mean, where it, I know your quote on this. If you deserve the money. Right. If you deserve the money via NIL, then you deserve the fandom. Okay. And so then if I can't be then informed as to why you're not playing, can I withdraw my fandom? I mean, I know you think you deserve it, but if I don't know why you're not playing now, I'm not. Again, it's like, well, I feel like now I'm not entitled. I'm not, I'm not the 12th man anymore, Texas A&M, right? I'm not the. I'm not part, it's not we anymore. Well, then I think you have to expect to lose a lot of interest very quickly. And again, on a theoretical basis, I'm saying. Yeah, I also think part of the whole. Because, Doug, I do not care about the Bayou Barbies. Did you know that was her nickname? (laughs) It's a great great (laughs) name, though. On a personal level, I don't care about the Bayou Barbies GPA. You know, so I'm just looking at this from. This kind of high level picture in terms of building relationships with fans and what that really means, the the two sided dynamic here. Yeah, I want to say one quick quick thing is that is anyone really surprised that giving college kids millions of dollars deters them <laughs> from pursuing their academics that are gonna lead to a fifty thousand dollar a year entry level job at the end of the day? Like that becomes a very small priority when you're Bayou Barbie brand is making you millions of dollars off of TikTok and Instagram. I, I think it that communications degree is is a lot less appealing, a lot less of a priority. And so, c- can we blame someone like Angel Reese for perhaps acting in her own rational self interest in terms of prioritizing the things that are making her real money and and putting on the back burner something that's likely to make her a lot less money? So, in the short term, at least. So, yeah, I. I I, I part of me is like, you know what? Like, a we should have seen this coming. I think a lot of people did. B, Angel Reese. I don't really have a problem with what she's done. But C, when your personal life and your personal brand on social media is something that you use to make money, you can't all of a sudden say, "Hey, you can't be invasive and judge or, or be looking into my personal life and decisions." When that's how you're making your living. That's you're you're an influencer. That's people. That's why they follow you they want to see what's going on in your life and so when you fail it's a reality tv show for the rest of the world when you fail your class that's the next episode yes it's a reality tv show at this point and you are a willing participant as an actor and you're you're signing up for that you're now getting paid look back in the day (laughs) when you weren't paid the college kids weren't getting paid a lot a lot less a lot more sympathy for the kids now And again, I don't know what the real NIL numbers are, 
but you know, maybe it is a seven figure kind of deal. And I don't know how much, I think she's just got one year left at LSU. You know? Yeah. And it is, it is interesting, right? Cause where are these deals going to go? But after LSU, that's what I would be a little concerned about if I'm on Angel Reese's team. But I mean, also, getting back to like, you're kind of willingly signing up to be a character in a reality TV show that is college sports. Now, I saw an ad on Instagram this week for Google, and it was featuring Bo Nix and his wife. Who? So I grew up in Birmingham, and I have mutual friends with Bo Nix. And then I went to high school with his wife. Like she's a couple grades below me and I knew her and stuff, but I was like watching this Google ad and it's like, oh, there's Izzy on this Google ad. And it's Bo Nix is saying every day I start and I have breakfast with my wife. And then I do, it was just, they were going through their day. They're being influencers, which is great. They're making money off of that. But it's like, you have to understand when you're Bo Nix, the entire world know, knows who your wife is and they're following her career and her, she's got a bunch of followers on this. I mean, she's essentially become an influencer is my understanding, uh, which is great. And I would do the same thing, but, and they seem like they know what they're doing. The Knicks they, they seem like they're doing a great job and I have no critique of them. But what I'm saying about Angel Reese is she's, she's doing the same thing. She's inviting people into her world on social media and, and she's becoming, a figure intentionally in that way. And so it's like, why, if you're a Kardashian, do you, do you get upset when the tabloids are writing articles that you divorced your husband or that whatever it is that the, what's going on with it? It's like, you're now a Kardashian. You're in that ballpark of you're a public figure and it's fair game with the media now. And cause that's part of what you're getting paid for in my, in my eyes. I suppose, a, I suppose a Kardashian leans into it. Right. And it's almost like Angel Reese could lean into it and start, Angel Reese's tutoring services, right? Buyout. (laughs) (laughs) I'm making, I'm making light, but you know, that's definitely, I think maybe in these NIL counseling sessions or when they, when the schools are talking about NIL opportunities, there probably isn't enough. They probably wave their hands at the fact that, well, you're going to become a public figure and that has some consequences. I would just say, when you become a sports public figure, essentially you're creating relationships with fans. If fans don't have a relationship with you, and it's, I mean, it's a funny relationship, right? But if fans don't have a relationship with you, if you're not aspirational, they don't want to have eyelashes that look like yours. Okay. When you become aspirational, they want to have your same eyelashes as you. You can now sell that. But guess what? Now you're interacting with the fans. And, and I think there's probably just, Almost no celebrity, I think, understands that's part of the deal, except for the Kardashians. <laughs> except for the Kardashians. And like there there is I've noticed from fan behavior, there's a lot more interest in the personal lives of these figures now that they're paid and that they're on bill. Brock Bowers in Georgia. You'll see him on billboards, you'll see him on your local attorney's <laughs> commercial or whatever. Like just you see these people all the time. And like I was watching a, a Georgia game with my parents this week and there somebody in the family was like, did you know Brock Bowers is dating a girl that goes to Tennessee or something like they brought up his dating life. People were talking about that. And it's, I mean, everything's public. Like you're now that you're, you're not just a player anymore. You're not just kind of shut up and dribble. Like you're, you're now, you have a platform and you're going to be followed around and viewed and critiqued 
in the same way that any celebrity would be. And now, but, and again, I suppose everything's by, and you, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question here. You help me out here. Angel Reese has been in Sports Illustrated swimsuit. She's had some issues related to, she's gotten into like little tiffs with the White House. I didn't know either I don't of those. Think Bowers, I don't think Brock Bowers has done anything like that, right? Well, I don't either. And I don't think, like I mentioned Bo Nix earlier. And my understanding of Bo Nix has always been that he's a grade A citizen, great dude, stand-up guy, and highly unlikely to, other than get himself in trouble saying, oh, we should have beat this team or that team, outside of the... <laughs> outside of the competitive comments as, as a class act. And I, I fully expect someone like him or, or Bowers certainly seems to have his head on his shoulders. And so a lot of these kids seem like they're mature enough to handle this. They can handle the spotlight. They can handle their critique and their personal lives in addition okay. to, but, but when someone's failing school and it's, and they're making even more money and they're on a bigger stage, perhaps you do question whether this is a good arrangement, honestly, for the person. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's in the best interest of a, a kid like Angel Reese to be in this situation. Well, and maybe that's unfair. Okay. Maybe it's like, oh, she. I would, I would take the money. <laughs> so, I, I would say financially, it's certainly healthy. <laughs> I have a choice, right? I mean, so we're talking about Bo Nix. What's Bo Nix? What are his draft prospects? Do you know. I actually I saw mock draft this morning, and Bonix was going number five to the Giants in this mock okay. draft. He was the future of the franchise for my team. Okay, so well, Danny, or sorry, Danny Devito, Tommy Devito is the uh, the the near term for you. Okay, so Giants I mean, legend for Bonix, right, and for Angel Reese. I don't know what Bo Nix, maybe he's played his way. He always struck me as like he was probably, te- before the season, maybe pegged as a second or third round draft pick. Right. And you don't know where he's going to end up, but those commercial opportunities are going to dry up pretty quickly if you're not an NFL star, right? If you're an NFL backup, then suddenly you go from making doing Google ads or <laughs> making you know, a million plus in NILSU to essentially having no endorsement potential whatsoever. And so, like, you, you talk about Bo Nix and his wife or fiance, what'd you say, wife? I think. Wife, yeah. That in some ways, the, again, sort of the way these leagues are organized with NIL and this captive, really enthusiastic fan bases that all of these schools have at Oregon, at LSU, at Georgia, at Alabama you do create a situation where maybe there's more money at the college level than at the professional level for some of these athletes. And so they almost have to act towards optimizing their collegiate earnings rather than their professional earnings. And and if that's the case, you're going to get these behaviors. Exactly. And like Bo Nix is one that I viewed um, as someone who like, probably needed to cash out in college i think his early years no one was pegging him as a first round pick in the nfl before he went to oregon and so wasn't surprised to see him come back for another year and haven't been surprised to see him i mean even when he was at auburn 
he he was one of the first people I saw that that was getting NIL deals. Very assertive and intentional about that, and for for good reason. You have an opportunity. Uh, you have a platform that's limited in time. And you've got two two to four years at that point uh, left in college, and you have a platform that can potentially yield millions of dollars every year. And not only for you, but can position other people in your life with a platform and with potentially long-term ramifications of that. And I, I, if I'm a college student, I'm very much intentional about that. I know like at Georgia, kid Nazir Sackhouse, I think it's his, it is his first year starting for Georgia. He was one of the top followed guys on social media on the team. Like he was putting out content regularly three years ago as, as a freshman at Georgia. And he's just now starting, but he's already got this built-in following. And I'm sure he's monetizing that. And so you're seeing strategic decisions by people like Bo Nix, people like Nazir Stackhouse. And in the case of Angel Reese, I think it's, I, I mean, I, I don't know the details. I don't know if she flicked off her professor and got kicked out of school or if she simply hasn't been studying very much. Let's say she hasn't been studying very much. She probably has a lot going on. She's doing video shoots. She's doing swimsuit magazine shoots. She's playing a sport. She's all over social media. She's going to the White House. She's doing like it's equally strategic, I think, to what Nazir Stackhouse or Bo Nix in terms of she's prioritizing the things while she has that window to make a lot of money. And again, from an economic standpoint, acting in her own self-interest, doing the economically rational thing. And you kind of, again, without knowing the details, it's hard to judge somebody in that position. Okay, so as you were talking, I, I tried to look up the Bo Nix Google deal, the partnership, and I don't see any dollars mentioned in the article I found, but they do mention what it looks like Google is doing, because in some ways it, it's kind of strange. Is Bo Nix a national figure? I, I don't think so, right? I mean, it's, he's a he's probably more of a regional figure, dominant in the Pacific Northwest, the West Pacific Coast. Pacific Northwest and Southeast. But they also mentioned that this Notre Dame quarterback, Sam Hartman, is also going to one of this. And so it part of this. So, so what it looks like is that Google is grabbing these high profile quarterbacks and college football players as part of their holiday shopping promotion. And that probably makes some economic sense, right? I mean, so the Notre Dame quarterback, the Bo Nix. It's actually kind of a funny year in college football in some ways in terms of like, I don't, when I'm trying to think like who the big name guys are, who is approaching being a national figure, it's kind of a short list, isn't it? But but it does make some sense that you grab these guys, you grab the top SEC personalities and the top Big Ten and the top, and the top, that Michigan quarterback, what's his name, McCarthy? Yeah. There, there's some guys with some, some some decent appeal. You collect a bunch of those, probably get them for relatively less money than the Joe Burrows and the whoever you whoever you might grab in the the Patrick Mahomes might make some sense. And so, in some ways, it's it's kind of an interesting approach for Google. I like it actually. As a marketing guy, I actually like what they're doing here. Yeah, and I, I personally with Google the so was Sam Hartman with Google also. Yeah, it sounds like Google's grabbing a bunch of these guys. Okay, it's just the guys I've seen. So, I mean, of course, yeah. Bo, Bo, Bo Nix and Sam Hartman, they both seem like high character guys, which if I'm a company like 
Google. They don't seem like liabilities, I guess. Someone like Caleb Williams has been, I don't know that I'd want to be associated with him as a brand. And I've seen him in a lot of marketing. And then on the flip side of that, you had like DJ Uyungle, who seems like a really good kid, just ended up not being a top performer. And it was already inked, inked all these deals to be a spokesperson. And so it's like the balance of someone that is dependable and is going to perform at a high level. So dependable on and off the field or court. And Angel Reese, probably some of her sponsors are probably not super excited to be associated with her right now. Although it could be worse. It could be worse. She could be. I'll make a cheap comment here. I don't think anyone buying those giant false ash eyelashes cares, cares that she's not making. Yeah. Well, you could imagine a situation. Imagine Jameis Winston years back. Jameis yeah. Winston, Cam Newton, any of these people who are involved in scandals of sorts being regrettable. And so I think that I've seen brands like Google seem to be a little bit more careful and and picking out probably doing a little bit of a background check on their guys in terms of their behavior off the field because I think that can be equally important when you're when you're representing a brand well, like Google. What I like about it in terms of the marketing is if you think through what's happening, if they're doing this for the holiday season, in some ways what they're really, they might be leveraging is what the media environment is going to be. So if you start to do these deals with all the, I don't know how well Hartman's played or if he's a Heisman candidate, but if you can essentially get all the guys that are going to be on the stage in New York as part of your campaign, you're getting all this free media as well. And and they're short-term deals, right? You're not investing for years with these guys where something can go wrong. It's just like, hey, this superstar quarterback, that superstar quarterback, Notre Dame, Oregon, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's probably beautiful from a marketing perspective. Short-term, a lot of free media ties into the Heisman Trophy. It's great. Yeah, and for for the players, like for the athletes, it's great too because Sam Hartman or, or Bo Nix, for all we know, they could be second string or scout team in three years or, or even next year for all we know. And so having an opportunity to cash out on their status while they are at the top in their region or, or for their fan base is key because I've, I've known a a lot of Georgia guys who would have made millions of dollars had they had the opportunity as student athletes and whether it's injury or whether it's simply the fact that their game doesn't translate like it translates really well in the SEC but not in the NFL and two years out of the league maybe made some money from that but could have made 10 times as much while they were in college so it's like <laughs> if I'm Bo Nix I am things could not have worked out better in terms of COVID, extending your time in college, having that extra year to build your brand, but also build your draft stock. Like things have gone extremely well for that young man. Sam Hartman transferring to Notre Dame and, and getting to level up his brand by connecting with one of the big brands or perceived big brands in sports. Like there, there's been a number of quarterbacks that have really benefited from a prolonged stay in college football. And I think, like, number one of mine, like, no one's benefited more than Bo Nix, like I said. Well, and and I don't know how much money he made, but someone like Stetson Bennett, you know, his story playing at Georgia in essentially a major media market like Atlanta with that rabid, enormous Georgia Bulldog fan base, 
you suspect that he could have, and again, he came about through the, when NIL was in its infancy, but a guy like that might, you know, make more money. Two national championships at Georgia probably generates more revenue long-term than being the backup for the Los Angeles Rams. Okay, Doug, the other yeah. one on college football, what do you think about Liberty University? And like this idea that they could very well go undefeated. You know, there's been so much conference realignment that I, I looked it up there in Conference USA. I, I feel like the num- the members of Conference USA used to be kind of legit for a while, but they probably turned over three or four times. If a game like Liberty is not eligible under any circumstances for the college football playoffs, okay, so it goes back to this, this, this theme of league organization, then what are they actually what are they actually doing? Okay, so that's question one. I'll ask you two questions. Second question is, if this is next year and we go to 12 teams, do you throw Liberty in there? I think if there's a 12-team playoff, you've got to put in any undefeated team. I think they've got to be. I think UCF, I mean, they, UCF would have been in. But I'm pulling up the rankings right now or just kind of a rough ranking to see who that would leave out and i imagine it's going to be a two loss acc team or a two loss let's see who's at 12 so ole miss yeah two loss sec team oklahoma lsu's right around there with three losses and oregon state missouri penn state a couple of those teams so i mean that is tough it would be tough to be penn state and get left out but my opinion of with undefeateds is the same in college basketball is that they should always have a shot because just because they haven't played anybody good doesn't mean they wouldn't beat anybody good. You don't know. With Penn State, you already know how Penn State fares against Ohio State and Michigan because they've played them. <laughs> you don't know. With Liberty, it's like, who knows? They could. And and I remember there was a year where like Utah um, had a really good season and they played Bama in a bowl game and everyone favored Bama, even though Bama, I think, had lost some more games, but they just played better competition. And as it turns out, but Utah smoked them. Like they were really good. They just they never had the opportunity to play anybody good until then. So I like seeing there's Doug, so few you, undefeateds. I like seeing them in as you in talk, the mix. I'm trying to look up the Liberty schedule to see who they played at the beginning of the year, right? Yeah. UAB, Akron, UMass, BYU, Connecticut. New Mexico State, Bowling Green. Hey, New Mexico State beat Auburn this week. Sam Houston, Middle Tennessee, Louisiana Tech. Um, Okay, so I don't know. I mean, how about about a playing game? A playing game for the twelve team with the twelfth team and the undefeated. you want to officially make this class of schools, these non-Power 5 class of schools, second-class citizens, right? Yes. yes. I, I mean, Well, if I, they're, if they're in the top 12 already, but, I mean, I'm looking at the top 25, and they're number 22 at 11-0. and 0. Let's see. Like, but, hey, let's take four teams from the non-Power 5, put them in the playoffs, and let two of them in. I mean, that, that makes some sense to me. I think I just think you got to give those teams at least the perception of a chance. I don't think they ever have a chance, whether it's against Alabama or Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon, Texas, top couple programs. But I think if they, I think they feel like if I think the stakes feel so much higher if Liberty going undefeated earns them a spot 
and some kind of play in or even into the real the real dance. And even if they go get smacked by Alabama or Georgia or whoever the first week, it's like making the the spotlight in that way and having that storyline. It's like going on a run in the March Madness when you might make the final four and get beat by 30 points by North Carolina, but everyone remembers the run that you had and that's forever. I don't think George Mason looks back and says, man, and it's a shame Doug, that we made it that far because we got beat so bad. It's the only way you can move up, right? I mean, why is Gonzaga yeah. a legit team, right? Why was Butler kind of on the verge of being legit a few years ago? You got to provide that opportunity. Otherwise, these teams like JMU and Liberty, they're not actually part of the college football. They think they're part of Division One, right? But they're not actually part of it. That's why and, I'm and like, I, and I don't either think let them, at- either let them compete yeah. or create a tiered system where, you know, if they win their championship this year, they can make it up a tier into the real the real league with the SEC teams and the ACC and Big Ten and Pac-12 and all them. Like, well, of course, Pac-12 won't exist next year, but I, I like that system. Like, I like having a a league structure where there is playing your way into a league like we see in soccer. I think that that's cool for a school like Liberty. Like if they were now, if this next year they were in the ACC, you know, um, if they go undefeated this year or something, have a chance, it's like, shoot. And if we win the league next year, we can make it into the SEC. <laughs> I, I think that's cool. But not having a finish line, like what bowl are they projected to play in? Because it's not going to be, like not only will they not be in the playoff, they're not going to be in a premier bowl game as an undefeated. Let I me mean, know. number 22, I would imagine that they're playing in, I was going to say like the Music City Bowl, but again, a lot of these bowl games are specific to the conference. I don't, my oh. Googling skills are failing me at the moment. Yeah, so they're saying, let's see, AutoZone Liberty Bowl? That's nice. I mean, is it wait? Because there was the Liberty Bowl, so Liberty's going to the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. That would be funny. <laughs> that that would be a really nice synergistic collab. Yeah, the, we got to let the marketers have it, right? <laughs> so, what are they? The Liberty Flame. Liberty oh. versus. Okay, so I have the. Uh, R&L Carriers New Orleans Bowl Liberty versus James Madison is one of the production projections versus James Madison Okay so played. Again so what is what is the point to this right Congrats like you, you get to play your regular div- season opponent again You're in this division but you're not in this division right So It's bad okay, football, Doug, I think college football's college football's really fun for the teams that are really truly so, in the mix and the ones that really truly aren't, whether it's official or not, is Illinois football in the? Do they really have a shot in the next twenty years at making a playoff? No, look, I can explain it to you. I mean, it's Illinois fandom is fundamentally different than Georgia fandom, right? In that you guys are out there trying to win national championships. And again, look, I know enough of you guys, and I know what fans are like. I don't even think being a Georgia fan is a good thing health in, in terms of health perspective. You're working on an ulcer, an ulcer, right? I mean, you got all this anxiety. 
You're never happy. Whereas for Illinois, I'm totally relaxed now. I, I tune in. We got some convoluted strategy that if we beat Iowa and a couple other things happen, that we're going to win the Big Ten West. And, and then and then we also got this backstory about, well, we got to get to bowl eligibility. And then we're going to play in some crazy bowl game that with the branding tie-in is the most interesting part of it. And we're playing we're playing some, I don't know, lower level. We're playing TCU if they're bowl eligible. And you tune in on around New Year's Day or a couple days before, and it looks like there's 4,000 people in the stadium. But we had those extra three weeks of practice and we could sell the recruits. I mean, there's all these kind of rituals to it. It's frustrating as all hell. And I think I care less than you, but it might actually be more enjoyable. I think you're coping. I think you're coping. This. <laughs> I used to do that yeah. with Alabama. I used to say, man, they seem okay, miserable. Because time, time out. Were you worried going to Tennessee as a Georgia fan this weekend? No. Okay. I barely knew that Illinois was playing at Iowa, right? I mean, it's... <laughs> I, I used it's, to say... I've been, Okay, I will say this. I've been worried about Alabama weeks out. Mm-hmm. So I've, I was worried about injuries. I, and every time a player went down, we were all like, oh no, this is going to kill us against Alabama. <laughs> so so there is, there is an anxiety. Going to the SEC championship game? I hope so. Working on that. Okay. Let me know if you know anyone okay. that knows anyone. I might. Okay. <laughs> but look, I, I know Georgia fans, right? And you're going to go into that game with almost this feeling of like it's exciting and you're all dressed up and you're, and you're red and black. But this feeling of dread yeah. that Saban's coming. Yeah. That Saban's oh. coming. It's, and, it's true. It's true. It's, I mean, I'm already there. We, I mean, I have friends that I talk to about every day where it's like, man, like, how are we going to beat? Our pass rush doesn't look good. Their quarterback can run. Like, that's a bad matchup. Like, just finding things to be anxious about. And I, I think that to what I was saying earlier, as a Georgia fan, I used to look at Alabama fans and say, I don't envy them. I actually feel sorry for them because they win so many championships that any year where they don't win a championship feels like a colossal failure. And... Meanwhile, we're over here, and if we win the SEC East and we just have a shot at an SEC championship, it feels like the biggest year ever. So I'd much rather be in our position. It's way more fun to pull for a team like this than to pull for a team like that. And of course, as as Georgia's evolved over the years, they've become more and more like Alabama. And I don't sit here and say, man, I wish we were like Tennessee where we could lose two games a year but feel like we have a shot at an SEC championship and just barely miss it on our best year because that's kind of what Georgia football used to be. So I don't know. I think it's a form of coping, but I also think there's some truth to it because you you definitely have a lot of less anxiety about whatever game your team's playing in two weeks than I do. I have and a week no from now, I will, be, I will be so stressed. I will be so stressed. And at the stadium, no. I've been at games where I'm like, am I going to faint? Like, I, I I should not be this stressed out about a couple 18-year-olds like playing football against each other. We're, we're trading engagement for anxiety, right? <laughs> You've got all the engagement in the world. It's exciting. It's arousing. These are memories that are going to last you for the rest of your life. While I don't have any worries whatsoever about whether or not Illinois beats Northwestern, except for the fact that... I hate Northwestern, right? I mean, and it's it's, it's a different. Go form. to Northwestern, Mike. 
It only matters where you go to undergrad, Doug. Grad school doesn't. <laughs> I'm gonna. It's kind of great. We have not actually got into the NFL, but we'll we'll come back to the NFL next week. And there's a lot more college football ahead as well. At this point in the season, it's like this is the. I mean, this is the ramp up to rivalry week. So this is like we're about to turn the corner on college, where it's all about the scenarios and the championship games, and this is where drama. It's almost like this little lull before the drama really kicks in and this gets intense. And just on the heels of that, then the NFL starts to go into hyperdrive with the playoffs and, and that type of hunt. So a lot of good stuff ahead. But we'll wrap it here. As always, more content at fandomanalytics.com. Thank you.